0: He's wild, he's sweet. He'll shred your couch on a whim, then come crawling back to you, purring happily at your feet. His behavior may be erratic, but he's still the world's best cat who deserves nothing less than World's Best Cat Litter, the number one natural and sustainable litter brand with no harmful chemicals or silica dust. Trade your clay today. Get World's Best Cat Litter for the World's Best Cat.
1: In the week that saw Paddy McGuinness get electrocuted on Top Gear, Amanda Holden get into a war with Philip Schofield, and Rachel Riley make a rare maths mistake on Celebrity Gogglebox, this is Series Linked. I'm Emma Bullymore from the TV Times, and this is Mark Jeffries from The Mirror. Hiya, Jeffers. Hey, how's it going? Good, thank you. Right, on this week's episode of the podcast dedicated to everything on the box that's both on and in demand... Hugo Speer joins us in the studio talking about his new BBC daytime drama, London Kills. We'll discuss Emily Atak's new show and Catherine Parkinson shares her box set to watch before you die. You're listening to Series Linked, the podcast for TV fans by TV fans. Jeffers, how are you doing? Yeah, really good. You? Yeah, good, thank you. Very excited that the tennis is back on TV. I mean, I, I like dramas and comedies and all the stuff we talk about, but this is this is good news for me. I
2: think we've found some good dramas. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's winding down a bit for the summer, but I think we've found a couple of good ones here. Yeah?
1: yeah, I think we have. Let's talk about something that's been on for a little while, but we sort of haven't had a chance to chat about it, and it's really flipping good, so I think we should. This is When They See Us. Tell us what it is, Jeffers.
2: Yeah, I think we really have missed the trick with this one and dropped the ball a bit. We should have been reviewing this earlier. It's a fantastic four-part drama, so really easy to binge during the weekend. And it's been in the top three most-watched shows on Netflix in the UK ever since it came out on May the 31st. It's basically all about a real-life incident that happened. And a group of teenage boys known as the Central Park Five, they basically coerced into confessing to a brutal rape. happened in uh, 1989 in Central Park. And it follows a story from the incident itself right for until uh, when they're exonerated many years later. It's fantastically shot. Um, there's a really good young cast playing uh, a lot of the gang members. It's just really strong. I don't know what you thought about it.
1: I thought it was really, really good. I thought it's one of the best things I've seen since People vs. OJ, which was such an amazing drama as well. I think it's quite shocking with these kind of things you just cannot believe that that was allowed to happen felicity huffman who is brilliant and i know that she's had all sorts of personal problems in the news and therefore i'm not sure if it's fashionable to like her anymore but i've always thought she was brilliant in desperate housewives and beyond um she is playing this detective who is just hell bent on getting an answer for this rape i mean the drama doesn't really show why she's so intent on it being these five boys i think maybe for slimlining the story and for storytelling, they, they kind of miss a little bit out as to why she's so obsessed. But the the methods they use to try and get, I say in inverted commas, confessions out of these boys, are absolutely horrendous. And it's, I knew nothing about this case. So, you know, I'm really pleased to know more about it now. Afterwards as well, you can watch that Oprah Winfrey has done a chat with, with the real life Central part Five and and with the actors involved. And that's really interesting as well. But I just think it's really well done. It's it's kind of gritty in as much as the subject matter is gritty, but it's also not too complicated that you can't follow it. So, because which I think is something we talk about a lot, that things get so sort of intense and so complex and pleased with themselves that you kind of lose the thread of the story. So, it's definitely not guilty of that. It's easy to watch, but it's also horrendous to watch in terms of the, the content that you're seeing.
2: You sort of um, hear and read about things like this that happened perhaps back in the 80s and 90s in terms of um, policing and basically racism, for, for want of a better term, really. Um, and and yes, it's it's still quite shocking to see when it's dramatized like this. At the time, Donald Trump actually asked for these these lads to be given the death penalty, and he took out an advert in a newspaper. And the show's actually had some impact in the in the sense that now he's president, he is facing questions about sort of this aggressive campaign he had at the time. So it's even it's it's making waves even now. And I just think yes, it's really well done. It's it's only four parts, so it's not something that needs to take over your life, but the reaction on social media particularly to people who have watched it you know they find it very emotional it's very gripping it's it's just excellent and yeah I'd, I'd recommend everyone to give it a watch
1: and something else that is starting a bit more recently on Netflix is trinkets this is a much more lighthearted but also quite fun tell us about it jeffers yeah, this is all about
2: sort of three teenage girls from very different corners, I suppose, of the of the high school yard. And uh, they're all linked by uh, being thieves, basically, being kleptomaniacs, in, in inverted commas. And it's, it sort of goes into the reasons why they're stealing and they, they're sort of friends. I've watched a couple of episodes and, and at the start, they all want to stay well away from each other, but they seem to be drawn together by these um, shoplifters, anonymous meetings that they have to go to. There is this unlikely friendship and it's, it's how that's going to build. It's quite nice, this. is a bit sort of trashy, but I did sort of enjoy it in a sort of escapism type way. They're very short episodes. Um, it's 10 parts. And yeah, it's, it's quite good fun. Very different from the first one we've been talking about, obviously, but perhaps for a different time or a commute or something, quite worth a watch. What, what did you think?
1: It is very watchable. So basically you're following one girl who's quite timid and then two other girls who are really full of themselves. And they are not likeable in episode one. They're sort of bullying types. And I have to say, by the end of episode one, I was like, oh... I don't really care enough about the nice one. And the other two are quite annoying. Do I really want to keep spending time in the company of these characters? I hope that we're going to see more shoplifting. To be honest, it definitely glamorises shoplifting. I'm not going to go on Mary Whitehouse about it, but it made me think, I quite fancy stealing a necklace. That looks fun. Like, it really, they don't seem to have any consequences. They just have to t- turn up at a meeting every so often.
2: I also thought it looked remarkably easy. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah the, the main girl character you're talking about, Elodie, was played by Branna. Hildebrand, she's sort of the grieving misfit of the character. She's obviously had some death in her life. She's moved to this new school to meet the others and she doesn't really fit in. She seems to be like the best shoplifter in the whole world ever. <laughs> I mean, she's just literally walking in, grabbing all this stuff, you know, thousands of pounds worth. You're right, it does It does make it all very easy and, There's a lot of things like that you kind of have to let go if you're going to go with. I think I'm I'm three episodes in now and there's lots of sort of silliness and things that wouldn't really work. But I guess in the way that I used to like the OC, this is if you sort of want escapism, you just sort of throw yourself in. And I think there's also some good stuff. One of the characters, uh, Tabitha, she's sort of obsessed with Instagram. And that that I think it taps into that sort of side of sort of teenage life quite well and how... She's sort of one thing on social media, but very much at home. She's having her own problems. And I think that's quite interesting. I'm sure there's a lot of people that probably feel that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is so far away from my experience of being a teenager because I was a total geek and just sat and did my homework. So I, find, I always find these things, they feel so far fetched to me that anyone's got time for this kind of stuff when they're at school. But I maybe, I think obviously there is a big, Netflix has a big younger audience. And a lot of people who are at school will enjoy watching this. And I mean that is the highest compliment that you're capable of, Jeff, as comparing something to the OC, the holy grail of television. I'm not so, saying it's
2: up there yet. But, okay, you know, sure. It's it's, it's 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 got potential. Um, and Elodie, the main character, she goes to a a party, and I could definitely relate to that. You know, no one wanted you to talk to her. You went to a party? To well, just just like no one <laughs> wanted to talk to her. No one wanted to kiss her. She was just sort of mooching around. Ends up getting a bit drunk, necking her drink in the corner. I could sort of, you know, I could remember. Of all of the three characters, obviously, she's the most uncool. So I'd be a bit, a bit like a, and also her music sense is quite good. She's into Courtney Barnett. There's, um, there's some of The XX playing, so the soundtrack to this is also really good. I should give that a shout out as well.
1: Our guest time now, and I'm very pleased to say we've got someone lovely in the studio this week. Star of BBC's new crime drama for daytime London Kills, it's Hugo Spear. Hello! Hey.
0: Hello, thank you, thank you.
1: Thanks for coming in. You're very welcome, Emma. So, this is very exciting because when you watch it, it doesn't feel like a daytime drama to me. It feels like, you know, a proper prime time crime drama. It's really easy to get totally absorbed into it. When you sort of read it, what were your first sort of thoughts about it when you, when you heard about the project?
0: Um, it's something that I would actually wanted to do. Um, for about eight years, I've been doing a BBC Radio 4 drama called Stone, and I'm DCI John Stone, and, and I kind of thought, wouldn't it be great if we could make this for television? And I mooted it, put it out there, and there was lots of ums and ahs, and the general consensus is radio doesn't translate to TV or doesn't happen. And then the lovely poor Marquess came along um, and I was interviewed for London Kills and got the job. And it kind of occurred to me that this is, you know, a DCI leading an investigative murder team and it's on telly. And it kind of felt like it was stone for telly. So um, it's exactly what I wanted, really. Kind of like a dream job. It's good scripts, it's pacey and it's everything that you'd really want. When you say it doesn't seem like daytime, I kind of agreed with you and I wasn't even sure as we were making it, that we felt it was daytime, Sally. Um, but I think we played it in a sense that it wasn't too gory or wasn't sweary. So wherever the schedulers decided to put it out, it would it would be fine.
1: And as with all the best crime dramas, you've got your procedural and your case that you're looking at, but then he, there's a big backstory to your character, isn't there?
0: Absolutely, yeah. There's a whole arc f- uh, for me that covers actually not just this series, but it goes on to the second series as well. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> so, um, so yes, so that's it's, it's beautifully structured, really, everything that you want.
2: Because in that sense, it's quite a traditional sort of who done it and why done it, really, isn't it? A lot of the other crime dramas we watch at the moment, they, they get very technical, almost like going back to the bill, which I know some of the, the writers and stuff worked on in the past. It feels like that type of show to me.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important to remember that you know people have busy lives and they just want to be able to sit down and watch something without having to think too much or to miss something and then have to catch up. This is something that you can watch um, in bite-sized chunks, and it's pretty satisfying, I think.
2: And it's five episodes all going out this week, stripped across, and if anyone isn't around in the daytime, has got a job, they can obviously watch it on iPlayer as well. So it, it works quite well, and that, it's quite bingeable, isn't it? You you know, you could watch this over a weekend.
0: Absolutely, yeah. I'm sure it'll be popular with the students. Uh, you know, they'll be <laughs> uh, sitting around smoking illegal substances and watching this and <laughs>
1: Why is it called London Kills? It's quite a striking title.
0: It is. I mean, you'd have to ask Paul that, really. But I guess it's, it's obviously it's all set in London um, and it's, a murder, it's a kind of almost like a pop-up murder investigation team. Uh, there's only four of us, four main characters, and there are other people around. But we are, we are the, the fundamental core and it's to do with the murders. So I guess that's why London is almost like a sort of fifth main character. Uh, very deliberately we've been shooting it by the Thames and stuff like that so you'll see St Paul's or the London Eye in the background so it's very obvious. I don't think obviously there are going to be the odd black cabs and red London buses but I don't think it's quite as deliberate as that.
1: And they must have a lot of confidence in it if they've already you know commissioned it straight out for two series.
0: It seems so yes it seems so. Um, It's yeah, I mean, it wasn't overly expensive to make.
1: You need a better agent.
0: <laughs> I got paid all right, actually. <laughs> Maybe I took the budget. Um, but I, I think that the clever thing about about this and what makes me think we can go again for quite a, quite a few series is that we dispensed with um, whole lighting setups and things like that. So we've used natural light, which gives it um, a sort of documentary feel, but also with three handheld cameras, What that enabled us to do was not have these long gaps, we're waiting for lighting setups. We were literally able to shoot 13, 14 pages in a day, which meant effectively, A, it was incredibly hard work because it's very, very pacey. We'd have the three cameras, we'd shoot a wide, do the scene, and then we'd all come in for close-ups. But we'd work out in a way of just being able to do it very, very quickly. So um, we were able to shoot, Ten episodes, so two series in eleven weeks, oh. which is pretty much unheard of, really. There was a week of rehearsal at the start, so the cameras could work out where we were going to be and what we were going to do, and and we got a feel, you know, of how it was going to look. Start creating uh, relationships between the characters and and just sort of settle into it before we hit the ground running on the on Monday of week two, and I think it's it works really well, and there's something lovely about shooting that in in the sense that once you've started you just go and go and go like i say it is hard work but you've got that momentum and that energy at the same time of, of there was a, a slight hiatus in the middle and and i went off to shoot um uh britannia series 2 of britannia and that is the antithesis of the, of of london kills so i'd be going you know i'd be sitting my trailer for I don't know, about an hour and then a car would take me to set and then we'd go and rehearse and then I'd go back in the car and back while they're setting everything up, waiting around for another hour and then coming back and, you know, run, run through the scene, then shoot it. and then, So, you know, we'd maybe do a page or two pages a day on Britannia where I was doing 13 and it, it, was, it was never had it been so obviously juxtaposed, you know, and, uh, as when I was doing it at the, at the same time. So it was, it was fascinating to, be you know, have both disciplines. In the same sort of period.
1: So, do you think Britannia could benefit from quickening it up, or do you think actually for that process? Not really. I
0: mean, they're different beasts, yeah. you know. I mean, I've seen, I've been doing uh, post ADR stuff, um, sound stuff for for Britannia, and it looks absolutely beautiful. It's very sumptuous, and it's, it's a different animal, like I say. So, we know you'd need to spend that much time doing what we did, but, you know, they've both equally got. Their own merits, but just different.
2: Can you tell us a bit more about your character in this? Is D.I. David Bradford? He's quite a troubled man, and I think that maybe could affect some of his decisions in his in his sort of position.
0: Yes, when we first meet him, he's been on compassionate leave, um, and he's he, he literally says, "I can't sit around. I'm watching daytime TV." Actually, says, <laughs> ironically. Um, <clears throat> so he's come back because uh, this is what he does. He's a cop, and he needs to be working. Um, what's happened is his wife has gone missing, and. The missing persons uh, department don't know i haven't come up with any leads any clues and it's incredibly troubling there are there's gossip there's talk that maybe i had something to do with it and there's always that sort of suspicion so there's that sort of ambiguity we had been uh, you know we'd had troubles and as you do in any marriage but it's it's clearly causing me a lot of stress and i believe that i you know david bradford believes that um, He'd be more effective trying to find her if he was actually on the job. But, as you say, it does lead, lead, lead to a lot of strain within the job while he's also trying to investigate the, the murder of the day, so to speak.
2: And I've watched a couple of episodes so far and I really liked uh, the performance as well from Sharon Small. She plays DS Vivian Cole and you two kind of rub each other up the wrong way. I think she quite wants your job. There's some nice clashing between you. Was, was that fun to do?
0: Hey, brilliant. Sharon's an absolute... Angel, I, I love her. I only found out when we started shooting that she's a very close neighbour of mine, which was very funny. As detectives, they're very, very different. Uh, Vivian Cole, she's, I would argue, a better detective. I shouldn't really say that. But uh, I think I'm more instinctive and she's more sort of methodical, uh, the way she works through things. And I think she's got a, a better sort of success record in the old sort of murder-solving department. Um, so I think she's got every right to believe that she should be, should be in my position, uh, and her nose is put that out of joint slightly when I come and I t- come back and say I'm just this, I'll take over the case. Thank you, Detective Sergeant, which is a bit of a smack in the face for her because she's been promoted to de- Detective Inspector before I arrive. Um, so there is that there is that going on. There's the, that tension between us two, and she believes that maybe uh, there's some skullduggery going on with the disappearance of my wife as well. So we've got that sort of tension throughout the whole throughout the whole series.
1: And you've been doing this job for quite some time. Can When you started out, could you believe that TV would have the kind of status that it has today in terms of, you know, big film stars all wanting to do telly, and it just feels like it's kind of the place to be right now?
0: It's, um, it's a very welcome sort of development, really. Um, it's not something I imagined would happen telly always had its place there was a small screen and you had your big screen stars that would 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 do that but it just seems that you know hollywood has pretty much run out of ideas you know when you're getting franchises that go into their 21st sort of edition it's like you know they're pretty much churning out the same stuff again you've got wonderful writers and wonderful indie filmmakers who are making some really beautiful interesting work but um but that doesn't seem to be having the 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 backing of the distributors who are still fairly narrow-minded when it comes to getting a return on their investment I suppose so they're just playing it safe and churning this out and obviously actors their biggest most important prerequisite I would say is a an interesting well-written script uh, and that's what is happening in telly now you're getting uh, you know showrunners who have a, have huge writing rooms when you're getting lots of writers in and and there's a lot of incredibly talented writers out there who are getting a chance now to you know to to work and, and produce interesting and exciting work and that seems to be what's happening in telly and that's drawing in the the big actors as well and of course the formats are all changing the way we watch tv the whole landscape is changing so i mean it's an exciting time which is great
1: what kind of stuff do you like to watch if you get a moment to watch something?
0: If I get a moment. <laughs> now, this is the thing, because I've got two little girls who are uh, six and two years old. So they kind of dominate the television. I've only got one telly in the house. So what I end up watching is uh, pretty much Hey Dougie, <laughs> <laughs> which I, I know every single badge. <laughs> my favourite being the spooky badge <laughs> and uh, and uh, the outer space badge. Um, if I get to watch anything, um, I did manage to watch. I've seen the first two Chernobyls, which are very good. Uh, Killing Eve, I have been able to see the entire first series, and I hope I'll be able to see the second. Um, it's it's the it's the ones that the biggest noise are made about them I try and, and watch, really. Um, I am watching the Women's World Cup at the moment, which I'm very excited about. My six-year-old, she's a, a big Arsenal fan, <clears throat> which is hard for me to say because I'm a <laughs> Leeds boy. <laughs> um, but she's a gooner, uh, and so I'm encouraging her to, to you know, to play, and she enjoys playing. But just to to know that um, that the women's game is is growing, uh, and that I want her to feel that she'll be able to play, and if this can influence her and excite her, that'll be great. And it's it's really good. I'm enjoying watching that. Um, so not too much stuff but as much as I can manage basically.
2: And would would you generally now when you get offered roles, are you generally taking up more T V than film? It sounds like you're more passionate about T V, is that is that fair?
0: I'm just happy to to work really, Mark. I mean so long I mean I get what I said before about, you know, prerequisite being a good script. Uh, whatever sort of format it comes in, I I don't really mind. Uh, I wouldn't mind doing a a decent movie, nice indie movies, you know, storytelling. At least you know with that, you know the beginning, middle and end when you're doing it and it's quite easy to, or easier to pitch a performance. What I'm finding with stuff that I'm doing at the moment is you can start shooting something not really knowing where you're going to end up because the scripts sometimes haven't been delivered, Um, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting, what's going to happen to my character? But it's uh, sometimes it's tricky to know exactly where to pitch the performance because you don't know exactly what's going to happen. So I am still from the school of thought that I'm dressing up and pretending and getting paid to do it, you know, so I feel very, very lucky
2: and still waiting for the findy-outy police to come and make me do, <laughs> make me do a proper job. Because I wondered if being older, as you get older, you're more choosy over what roles you take, but it sounds like if, if you're just happy to be here, you you're if still I kind can, of... If I like... can
0: be, I mean, uh, you, know, I mean I've, you know, I've got a family to support and I am in a very fortunate position that I can make choices at the moment, but I, I don't think I'll ever take anything for granted. I may have some dry periods and if that happens and I need to work, then maybe I'll have to compromise myself somehow, but... We'll see. At the, I mean, at the moment, it's it's going well.
1: We cover lots of shows that people like, but something that people absolutely loved was Musketeers. The fan reaction mm. to that was huge. What was? Can do you have fond memories of filming oh, that? Just
0: tremendous. I mean, I mean, it was every every boy's dream, really. You know, we got dressed up in this magnificent leather, jumping on the back of horses and galloping along, and sword fighting, and and all of those things, all in the Czech Republic. Beautiful place to be. Uh, wonderful camaraderie with my with my co-stars, uh, and you know beautiful girls coming along with their bodices and heaving bosoms and all that sort of thing, <laughs> uh, which is obviously pleasant as well. <laughs> so, it was a really tough gig, though. It was, uh, yeah. I mean, it was it, it was hard work. You know, it was very very physical. Um, we did boot camp for you know a couple of weeks before each series, to to learn new skills on the horses and to and and with the fighting. And it was, you know, it was it was a very physical job, but, you know, we knew we'd worked at the end of the day and it was just tremendous fun, really.
2: I just wanted to ask one very random question because I looked on Wikipedia and it said that you enjoy walking and falconry and I wanted to know if that was true and what it falconry, what it's
0: like. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that I'd want to get more into. I've always loved raptors, birds of prey, and if I go anywhere where there is a falconry centre, I'll go and... Uh, you know and, and try and get a big leather glove on and, and, and do all that sort of thing. If you just look at them, you know, they're just magnificent beasts. To watch them soaring away and to watch them disappear into the distance and know that they can they know where you are and if you've got the the bit of meat on the end of the string and you can whistle them and all and bring them down and then watch them come and fly down and it's just it's just uh, just fascinating to watch them and i just think they're beautiful.
1: You must be able to get that written into a script. There must be a character who does some Falkyrie. I was, was going to say,
2: I can't see D.I. David Bradford being a secret sort of Falkyrie <laughs> no, fan, I but can't maybe see him maybe, doing it. Maybe another role or a documentary perhaps writing ITV? Yeah,
0: yeah, well, my wife's a writer. Um, her name's Vivian Harvey. She's writing a lot at the moment. So we are tentatively creating our own things. You know, maybe we can incorporate that. Maybe I'll be a rough, tough, but lovable
2: falconer.
1: I who lives it. in the Caribbean so there, <laughs> there you go <laughs> <laughs> nice
2: touch yeah I like that one that would be good press trip, please for that one yeah we'll come out we'll come out and do some stuff on location with that. Yeah, so there <laughs> you go yeah you can welcome you all out of course
1: <laughs> <laughs> before you get around to the Falconry in the Caribbean mm. which is going to be great What uh, you're filming at the moment aren't you
0: I'm currently shooting series three of Marcella oh, excellent. which is obviously the, the very dark uh, Anna Friel detective drama that's uh, it's good it's hard work uh, again it's, it's Hans Rosenfeld who's writing it uh, so um, it's up the first two series, obviously, have been very London noir. Uh, but I don't know whether you've seen it or not. But the end of series two, she is effectively dead to the world. And I've come along as an undercover operative, under, undercover detective, and offered her a way out and offered her to a job effectively. So what's happened is we have relocated to Northern Ireland which is where we're shooting it, shooting it in Belfast at the moment. I won't tell you too much, but basically the, we're uh, infiltrating an undercover, it, it, you know, she's an undercover detective, infiltrating an Irish crime family. That's uh, that's what we're doing at the moment, uh, sort of in the middle of filming.
1: It takes a lot of concentration watching, my chat. I always have to, like, I'm not looking at my phone, I'm watching it. Yes. I mean, is it like that when you're filming as well?
0: Uh, there's, it, it's a complicated scripts, you know, and we've had, we've had a lot of time at the beginning with rehearsals, just going through and making sure that everything makes sense to all of us. Because obviously, I mean, it's, Anna's got the toughest gig by by a country mile because she's effectively two characters. You know, she's goes, has these, these fugues, these blackouts, and then she's got to try and recall what's happened and why has it happened and all these things. So as when she's undercover, there's a whole new character, um, and it's you know working out who's who and who's doing what and why and how um and yeah i mean it's a you know it's a a tricky plot there's a lot going on so it's just a case of unpicking it and then making sure it all makes sense to us and then putting it back together again and i think we're managing to do that and anna must be great to work with as well she is she's fantastic yeah she's such a hard worker and she really really cares about uh, about her work you know she's fantastic very versatile. And this is a tricky job for her and she's doing really well.
1: Thank you so much for coming in, You're Hugo. very
0: welcome. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thanks.
1: That was Hugo Spear there. London Kills is on every day this week, 1.45 in the afternoons on BBC One and you can always catch it on the iPlayer as well. So this weekend, across the whole of the BBC, it's going to be Glastonbury. And while we're in a sort of musical mood, I thought I'd pose you this big question of the week, Jeffers. What do you think is the best tv theme tune Of all time. Don't say new tricks. Go.
2: I'm not going to say new (laughs) tricks. I actually looked up, there was a big survey a couple of years ago done on this and Sherlock came out top and I was like, I'm not having that.
1: Absolutely not.
2: No way. Cheers came into my mind. Cheers was great. South Bank show countdown. Doctor Who's pretty iconic. But for me, because I'm a bit of a sports fan, I'd probably say match of the day because I just... I'm used what? to hearing that theme tune running in to watch it with, with my dad when I was younger and now it sort of signals sort of, you know, you, you know you're going to watch the football and you get quite excited about it. So I think I'd say that. Personally. Better than Friends? Well, yeah, but Friends was sort of already, yeah, Friends was already a song. I don't really, yeah, I don't know. I, I just, yeah. For me, Match of the Day because it's quite a sort of iconic thing. I've, I, I take Doc 2 as well. I, pe- I can see why people love Doc 2 because, again, you, you sort of, it seems to represent sort of the programme you're about to watch, doesn't it? But, yeah, definitely not Sherlock.
1: But on a sports theme... What about Big Break? That was a great theme tune. It's a terrible show that I would never watch now, but it was a big deal back in the day. We would sit and watch that as a family. It's a very catchy theme tune. Again,
2: yeah, you knew what you were going to watch when you heard it come on. Yes, it's very good.
1: Right, let's talk about some more telly now. Jeffers, Drag S.O.S. What a name for a show. Uh, what, what do you make of this? Tell us a bit about it and what it stands for. Because it's kind of a bit of a drag version of Queer Eye, right?
2: Yeah, I'd say it's from the same vein as, as Queer Eye. Definitely. It's a bit of a sort of makeover show. And it's about sort of creating confidence in people. It's a drag group called uh, Family Gorgeous. One Great name. The, one, yeah, one of the UK's most famous and fabulous drag collectives, I'm reliably told.
1: You say and, fabulous so rarely that I've, that's made me really happy. But carry on.
2: And uh, they sort of are doing a road trip around the UK that they're, they're, they're dropping in on different towns, perhaps in need of some excitement or need of some some people that are in need of a maker. And they go to Dover in the first episode. And there's some people there who don't really know what to make of them. Don't think there's a lot of drag acts in somewhere like Dover. And uh, yeah, they're trying to sort of get people's confidence back and they meet a, a, a variety of different people. And yeah, they, they're sort of trying to change their um, attitude towards their body image or perhaps their attitude towards or, towards drag queens as well. Yes, yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting watch. So
1: the idea is that they're unleashing their inner diva because, you know, if they're lacking confidence and hiding behind all this makeup and becoming this different persona helps them out. I was a little bit... I mean, I thought it was going to be fun, for sure. I mean, for, to start with, it's got characters called... Cheddar Gorgeous and Anaphylactic. Amazing names. I want to rebrand myself now. Um, but I was like, oh, is this really going to work? Is it going to be a bit, I don't know, tacky somehow? But actually, it's really emotional. And it is. It's like Queer Eye, that they actually really care about the people that they're talking to. And they take it all quite seriously. And they do actually seem to get something out of it.
2: Yeah, I was really sceptical about it too, to be honest. I thought it might just be a sort of rip-off show of one of, one of these makeover shows with a, a new twist. And I wasn't sure that it was going to work. But yeah, the bit I liked it in, it was a character called Sean, who's 55. He's nominated to take part by his son, Owen, who's a budding uh, drag artist himself. Um, He's not really been accepted fully by his dad. I think they've had difficulties, let's say, in their relationship growing up. And this show really, really seems to help them. Sean himself dresses up in drag. The other thing with this show is you've kind of got a big finale where there's performances on stage. Again, that that seems to work quite well and sort of pulls it all together. And I did find it quite emo- an emotional watch and I, I really wasn't expecting that.
1: And it's really fun as well. Though it is emotional and it's moving, it is fun to watch. It's yeah. a nice thing to watch sort of, when you get from the pub or something.
2: Yeah, it's an easy watch. It's bright, it's colourful, there's lots of music. There's quite a lot of humour in it as well as the emotion. And, and it just, yeah, it works quite well together as a sort of late night package, really.
1: Well, let's talk about Emily Atec now. Obviously, she was runner-up in The Jungle last year. Uh, and she's back on our screens with the show on W called Adulting, which is kind of about... She's what coming up to thirty. She's worried about all the things that women her age, my age, we're all kind of similar age, uh, are thinking about. You know, dating and should I have a baby? And am I too selfish? And am I overweight? And all this kind of, all the those kind of classic topics. And she's taking one each week and really going in on them. What did you make of this, Jeffers, when you sat and watched it?
2: Yeah, first of all, it's Wednesday nights on W, I should say. Um, And I, I was a little bit skeptical when it started. There seemed to be a lot of emphasis on a stand up tour she was doing. And I thought, is this just going to be a vehicle to promote her and promote this stand-up uh, tour as well? But um, eventually it did get into some quite good stuff. And as you say, she's very honest about these issues. She's thinking about whether she wants to become a mum. She's feeling more broody as she gets close to 30. And I think for the audience who are going to watch this, she is expressing the same fears as probably that audience. Um, she's worried about a biological clock ticking. She also goes for a fertility test, which I think is quite a brave thing to do in front of the cameras. And so I think it does have its merits. I wasn't sure... And whether it's going to be quite lightweight, but a bit like with drag SOS, there is some sort of merit to it. And it does. I think it probably could do some good. What what did you think of it?
1: Well, I really liked it. And that's because me and my friends talk about a lot of this stuff because, you know, we're the sort of the same age as her. But I worry that I'm worried that people who aren't in that situation are going to find her very self-indulgent, which is why I'm interested in what you think, because she spends a lot of time saying things and thinking things that you wouldn't say out loud you know she is very honest and that's i found that really refreshing and it really appealed to me when she's talking about kids she said kids are just annoying and it's you know when people drop them around they're just irritating to me and that you know i don't know what to do with them and blah um and all of that you know you never hear anyone say that really you only hear people say whether they're broody or not broody so she kind of she she doesn't hold back in any way and to, i really responded well to that but i don't know I don't know how likeable that makes her come across on screen. I don't know, what do you think?
2: I mean, yeah, I'm a fan of hers. I met her a few times out in the jungle for I'm a celebrity as well. So I do like her and I do like her honesty, but I take your point. I think it's only going to have a limited uh, audience. There is probably more of a female audience who's going to watch this and they are going to be a similar age to Emily. I don't think you're going to get sort of a 50-year-old man watching this or equally maybe an 18-year-old lad. But at the same time, you know, it doesn't need to be for everyone. Program should be for selective audiences. And I think this, for the right type of particularly female audience, it's going to really hit hits and notes, and people are going to sort of relate to it. And, and that's, that can only be a good thing.
1: And it did make me want to go and see a stand-up show. So I suppose there you go, job done. Win-win. Right, now it's time once again to add to the list of box sets to watch before you die. Each week, one of our favourite faces from the telly tells us their must-see series. Last week, it was Gabby Logan. She chose Money Heist, which got us talking. We hadn't seen that before, that's on Netflix. This week, it's a turn of Catherine Parkinson. Let's hear her choice. Hello, my name is Catherine Parkinson, and my favourite box set I think you should watch before you die is Big Little Lies.
2: Are you new to Monterey? Yeah, we just moved here. You're
1: going to love it. I can't wait to get going on the second series. Big Little Lies has got just a great ensemble. Um, It's by the sea, and they all live in ridiculously big, rich houses. Passion is definitely not our problem. Every time someone asks me about Ziggy's dad, I'm terrified they're going to expose me. Reese Witherspoon particularly is amazing, and there's a big, big shock at the end.
0: These
1: women, they're vicious. We all do bad things sometimes. Big little lies. We knew it was going to come eventually, but maybe, maybe not so soon.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not the most original choice because on at the moment, the second series, but it is great. We've already reviewed it here and give it rave reviews. I think Mel Streep's introduction has been incredible. It's raised it even further. We already th- already thought it was really good. I think her addition's fantastic. Her character sort of meddling around and... It's not going to let things drop in terms of, of, of the death as well. So that's really good. And it's also quite key that this second series is, is, is kept going and it's still been really good. I think at some other shows, Killing Eve, I've noticed some people now are getting sort of midway or have watched the whole thing and they maybe think it drops off a little. I feel like with Big Little Lies, there's no one saying that at all. It's just really keep going. It's really strong.
1: And just like Catherine says, part of the joy of it is how lavish it looks. You know, yeah, you've got some really meaty storylines, but it looks beautiful and it's it's set in this fantastic place and they wear fantastic clothes. I think it's all right to like that. Sometimes we're sort of told everything has to be gritty and dark and look really kind of miserable, whereas this really doesn't. So I love that about it as well.
2: Yeah, it's definitely really aspirational. I'm sure lots of people would would love to move there, even in spite of all the uh, bitching and murdering.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's a small price to pay for a nice house. Right, there'll be another box set to watch before you next week for now though thank you Catherine parkinson she's going to be starring in defending the guilty which is coming to bbc later in the year so we're nearly out of time for this week's episode but as ever one more thing to do we need to scan across our epgs hazard a little guess at what we'll be talking about not just next week but also next month and next year turn the volume up jeffers fans it is the moment you've been waiting for jeffers next week
2: next week's all about Judy Dench she don't, she's not on TV that much um, it's her Wild Borneo Adventure on ITV it's a two-parter she's basically going around their rainforest looking at lovely animals so it's a bit of Blue Planet sort of style programme but with Judy Dench as well really good
1: the dream what about next month
2: next month is going to be Poldock's final ever series it's going to start uh, mid-July on BBC One Aidan Turner and Carol all back I'm not a period drama fan, as you know, but I'm told the opening episode is a cracking episode.
1: You do like scything, though, so... You know. Yeah,
2: I mean, yeah, that's all right.
1: What about next year?
2: Next year, good news for Cold Feet fans, it's going to be back for a ninth series, yes. um, six episodes. They're going to shoot it in Manchester later this year, and it's going to be on in 2020. We also had that quite serious uh, story with Jenny dealing with a cancer treatment, played by Faye Ripley, which was brilliant. And all the other usual casts are back as well. James Nesbitt, Hermione Norris, all those. I think it's going to be really good.
1: I absolutely love Cold Feet. So, so happy it's back. Lots for us to keep an eye on then there. That's all we've got time for, though, this week. This has been the Series Linked Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed it, we hope you have please go on give us a 5 star rating and a review we'll love you forever and make sure you subscribed as well so that the next episode is ready and waiting for you when it drops next Tuesday next week very very exciting just because the sport starts doesn't mean that we stop we're going to be live from Wimbledon bring it on but for now we'll see you later bye